Hey guys, it's Simon, and today I have the great pleasure of welcoming you to episode 23 of Learning from Humanity with Simon Funk, the old and the bold. In this episode, I was lucky enough to speak to Christina Walker, an Olympic rower and podcast host who leads through curiosity. How can we set ourselves up to perform at our best? Listening to this conversation would be a good start. In it, Christina, who is presently training in preparation for the Olympics, shared many of the tools, techniques, and mindsets that she uses to work toward success. Thankfully, they are versatile, enabling practically anyone to put them to good use, just as I am striving to do at this very moment. If you're looking for more on high performance, Christina also makes a podcast herself, Different Makers on Spotify where she interviews people who have made considerable contributions to their field or sport. A few last things about Christina that may pique your interest are that she values relationships highly, grew up on a farm, and believes in the power of good old-fashioned hard work. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Without further ado, Christina Walker. So Christina, what do you think living well looks like? <laughs> uh, good question. I think... Uh... Uh, it encompasses a bunch of different things and I try to take the holistic approach, um, kind of mind, body, soul. Um, so for my body to be well, I need exercise. I need sleep. I, I think of kind of three things for the body, exercise, sleep, and nutrition, uh, for the mind, I think of more so, um, stimulation and, uh, having certain stressors but being able to push past those stressors um okay. which gives you that sort of like dopamine uh rush and allows you to kind of keep going throughout your your day and then your life and then the soul part uh which is also kind of with the mind um i think about relationships and who we interact with uh whether that's you know your 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 friends, your teammates, uh, your peers, but having those those relationships and how you you navigate those relationships, I think, is a huge uh, component to your overall well-being. Yeah. Okay, so three parts, and then all different yeah. ways with each of them. How do you think about relationships, including the one that you have with yourself? Um, I try to think of it as. Uh, a constant give and if I often I think that's the, just the way that I've always lived my life is the more that I can give out to the world for some reason I, I find uh, it always comes back to me um, so if and whether that's and I'll, I'll speak to maybe uh, my other relationships first that aren't just with myself but um, you know like my my relationship with my partner and my relationships with my teammates and my friends and my coaches and if I'm always thinking of a uh, of a transaction as a way of like what can I do for this person nine times out of ten I, I do find that I get that reciprocated or I even get more um, and I, I mean that there I've struggled in the past with with maybe finding people who don't reciprocate it but just being aware that, that that's the case and then being able to navigate that relationship. Um, and the relationship with myself, um, I would say it's a pretty positive relationship. I think it's it kind of goes back to your first question, which is, you know, overall well-being. I really, I really like to stick to my kind of three pillars of first physical health, which ends up being um, translated into my overall mental health too, which is like my, if I get my sleep in my activity, um, as well as my nutrition, then, uh, and then from there that I can work on my connection with, with people and with the outside world. And from there, then I find that I, I start to, to really have that overall like well-being and that happiness that I, I strive for. But I find if I, if I ha ever go off having a poorer connection with myself, then I'm usually missing one of those things. So whether I'm not getting enough sleep, I'm not fueling properly or eating well enough, or I'm not um, exercising or my, my relationships 
um, I haven't given enough attention to those relationships or I've given too much energy to too many things where I can't navigate um, the really important things in my life that I want to be able to navigate. Okay, so the last little bit, how yeah. do you avoid picking up too many cool things to do? Because I'm sure that you have them thrown at you all the time. Yeah, you know what? Uh, that has been the, yeah, I've, I learned that pro actually, uh, I think in my fourth year, fourth or fifth year in university, um, I was doing everything and I joined in my first year. Um, I just, I love, I, I'm very passionate about a whole bunch of different things and I love trying things and I, and, uh, and uh, I just, yeah, in my first year, I remember I, I was on the cross country and track team as well as the rowing team. And I was doing way too much of what myself looks back at my old self. I'd be like, you're insane. And I would never do that now, but I just, I didn't know any better. And, uh, and then from there, you know, I was in full course load. And then from there I wanted to be a part of the Thunderbird athlete council at UBC. And so I did that. And then from there, I wanted to be a captain on the team. So then I did that. And it was just one thing after another, after another. And it wasn't until I actually had a sort of physical, I say, um, psychosomatic response, I think, um, which was then diagnosed as like overtraining syndrome, which I think ended up being REDS or what we, what we were talking about earlier prior to the podcast. Um, it's just that not having enough not filling up my cup enough and um, letting it letting it fall over uh, too much. And so it was me experiencing um, this overtraining syndrome, which was, you know, I wasn't sleeping. Often when you get, uh, when you go into energy depletion, then you, it actually works out that you, you kind of stop sleeping, which is kind of ironic because, you know, you need sleep, but your mind is, is running too fast and your, your parasympathetic nervous system is just in overload. And so that's what happened with me. And it made me kind of reflect inward and ask myself um, or ask myself why I'm doing what I'm doing. And then also coming to the acceptance that I may not be able to do everything that I want to do in this moment and being okay with that. Um, I had a coach at the national team at the time when I was trying to come onto the national team for the first time that said to me, I asked him, I said, what do you think is the, what is something that you feel um, is preventing me from being like a, a national team athlete? And, and he said straight up to me, uh, you're doing too much as a, as a professional athlete, you need to be able to manage a couple things, you know, and do those really well, those things really well. And, um, and I struggled with that for a while and I fought against it. And it wasn't until I really surrendered and accepted that, you know, I can either do a whole bunch of things fairly well, or I can do one thing really well and put those other things on the back burner. Um, and so now I'm at the place where, uh, I want to bring a couple more things back in because I feel like I just have rowing and that's what made me uh, actually bring my podcast, start a podcast like those two years ago was because I felt like, okay, you know what? I shut everything down. Now I can start adding one or two things back in, which then helps my, my mental health as well to not just focus on, on my sport a hundred percent of the time. I think that's, it, it's a balance and you know, in the past, I've had that balance be completely off tilted. And, and then um, now I'm trying to rebalance it where I just, I have my sole focus, but then a couple, a couple other things on the side as well. Okay, cool. So you've mentioned rowing a couple times, and the listeners have not heard your rowing journey, and they haven't done any research like I have. So would <laughs> yeah. you be willing to give a brief overview of your journey with rowing to date? Sure, yeah. Um, so I started rowing in university at UBC. So I, I said that I was a cross country and track athlete um, going into UBC and rowing is kind of a unique sport where you can come from and you see all different athletes from different walks of life um, where they come from 
previous sports that maybe they didn't have the success that they wanted, or they just, you know, have moved on and, and wanted to try something new. And so for me, um, I was a runner and I was on campus, walking on campus and the coach at the time approached me um, because I'm fairly tall and, and have long levers that, um, you know, rowing is a sport of leverage and asked me if I ever thought about rowing. And, um, and so I went out to the tryouts and I made it. And then it was that coach later on that said, you know, where, what are some of your goals and where do you see yourself going in, in both your sports of rowing and running? And always as a, as a young kid growing up, I always wanted to go to the Olympics. I was very fascinated by that and uh, just something that I always looked up to. And uh, I was never really a gifted athlete, I would say. And I think all my my family and friends growing up would say that as well. I just worked really hard. Um, and so uh, from there, then I, um, I decided to, to pursue rowing full time. Um, and because I, I felt and my coach at the time also uh made the argument of he think he thought that I had a better shot of going to the Olympics and rowing and running and I totally agreed. Um I just wasn't at that level of running uh that I kind of needed to be and I wasn't there for rowing either. Like I just I don't know, I think I just saw more opportunity within the rowing community and um and I could see myself improving uh more steadily and seeing those improvements I think is extremely important uh, when you're first trying out something or, you know, trying to, to get better at it. It's like, if you're constantly seeing that improvement, it's just, it's like that dopamine I was telling you about, you know, like constantly having that positive reinforcement that, okay, I'm getting better. I'm doing well, I'm enjoying this. And so then that led me to, yeah, be a varsity rower on the UBC rowing team. And I rode there for five years and again, I always wanted to be on the national team. I had tried out numerous times. Um, uh, there's usually tryouts twice a year for the national team, one in the spring to make like World Cup teams or, or under 23 teams, uh, world championship teams. And then there's also an opportunity to try out in the fall that will, if you, it depends on the year, but um, if you you race a single or a pair and if you do well enough and you have a good enough erg score then they might invite you to into the camp into the rowing team so anyways now fast forward 2019 the fall of 2019 i'd actually just overcome overtraining syndrome and so i was coming from a place of lots of recovery had to scale back big time and i wasn't super focused on rowing um I was trying to let go of it a little bit more because it was starting to, you know, impede on my health. And so I was only training once a day and I went out to national rowing championships with my pair partner at the time. And we ended up doing really well. Um, and, uh, and from there, then it just so happened that uh, we placed well enough to get a, uh, our names were listed on the list that came out a couple of days later where we got invites into the Olympic training camp uh, it, for 2019, that was going to be an eighth month camp going into, into the Olympics for 2020. Um, and it didn't mean that we were going to the Olympics. It just meant that we were going to be a part of the national team to then try to um, make a boat to go to the Olympics. And so um, within a weekend, I dropped out of school or put school on hold and I moved to Victoria and I started training full time. Um, so yeah. And then, uh, from there, then trained for that year and the Olympics got postponed and then came back and trained after COVID and trained for another year and then went to the Olympics, made the, the, the women's four. And then I raced the women's four, uh, at the games. And then now I'm back on the national team in hopes to compete and qualify a boat for the Olympics this this summer um, for Paris 2024. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you deal with chasing such a, a massive goal where either it's not like two people can achieve a gold medal at a single Olympics? 
yeah. how can you how can you chase such a huge goal and not get really really angry when you do your best performance but it just isn't enough mm-hmm. um i mean we have many conversations about this within my within my team and and figuring out like how we want to act on a daily basis that will then transpire into the way that we are going to perform come the olympic games um there's many ways of thinking about it i I actually try to, I'm trying to think of the quote, but sometimes I'm, uh, it's something like when you're feeling overwhelmed, best thing to do is think about what you can currently do in the moment when mm-hmm. you're in the moment and that's starting to become too mundane or, or, uh, or like too hyper-focused, it's best to look at the greater goal. So we kind of flux between that. Oh. Sometimes when the great, the big goal ahead of us, so like, you know, you learn about outcome goals or process goals and outcome goals is like winning the Olympic, the Olympics in 2024. We actually don't really talk about that that much. Um, it's just something that's there. We'll talk about it. We, we address it as a team and it's always focused around the team and how the team can do it, um, which I think is, allows all of us to perform better you know like I think especially for myself I I feel like if I'm just focused on myself and myself getting there then sometimes I struggle because then I feel like I'm not impacting anyone or anything and so as long as I'm a part of a team or an organization that's uh, focused on the betterment of sport or or people in general then um, I find I have a better performance and so I like to keep that in the back of my mind, um, but then also just managing expectations and goals. And we have, even though we have those big goals, like winning the Olympics on a daily basis, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking in the back of my head, I'm thinking, what can I do to, to do that? But on a daily basis, I'm thinking of, you know, my rowing stroke, my technical focuses, um, how are my relationships on the team? How is my my flexibility and mobility in the gym, how is my strength, like all of these different components that lead into the ultimate goal. And so really focusing on that big goal only happens every so often um, where we really try to come back and focus on what we can do each day to make ourselves get there. Okay, cool. I really like the tool of flipping between the the macro and the micro to be able to optimize both. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I, I'll have to, there's a better way of saying it than the way I did, but um, I really like that too. And I do find myself um, switching between those fairly often, you know, and I'll catch myself where I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm so stressed about like this piece right now that this rowing um, workout that I have. And then I'm like, okay, this rowing workout is one in however many thousand rowing workouts that I'm going to have, you know, it just, it kind of alleviates some stress. And, and I think that, Mm -hmm. that that's really helpful when you're thinking of something that may seem like a miles, miles, big, big mile ahead, you know? Okay. So imagine that you get the opportunity to share a single experience with every single person on the planet. What would the experience be? Probably the feeling of being in, and now I'm just thinking about rowing, but being in a pair with someone where you've worked, uh, I really enjoy, I, I enjoy an eight and a pair and a four and all those those boats I do. I It really depends on the boat and the crew that I'm working with, but I do really love a pair because it's just you and one other person and and uh, a pair is where you have one or each and so you have to be like perfectly balanced and I you know you don't have two oars to balance you so like I'm doing one thing on one side and the other person's doing the other thing on the other side and we have to be in complete synchronicity of each other and with the speed of the boat moving on the water in order to make that boat fly but when it actually does it's like the most beautiful incredible thing and even for myself, it's not like I experience that every day. I definitely don't. I experience it. I've experienced it like maybe like three times in my rowing career. And oh, wow. it wasn't even at the Olympics. It just so happened to be in a in a practice or in a in a race um, that was didn't have much meaning. And and it's about finding that in a race situation. But 
it just it's just such a beautiful like incredible feeling and it's like you're completely devoting yourself to the other person and to the boat in order to make that boat go the way that it can go hmm. that's really cool it's like it's it's harmony embodied exactly yes huh that's really cool yeah yeah and then i guess the other part the other thing that i would yeah yeah i'll keep my answer to that <laughs> okay cool then let's play around with another imaginary scenario okay you get the opportunity to design a class that every single person on the entire planet has to take in high school mm-hmm. grade 12 it goes for one semester about an hour and a half a day what would the class be mm. yeah tough uh you know i something along the lines of of uh i think uh emotional intelligence or awareness uh i think that goes a long ways for people and i can't say exactly what that class would look like but um you know whether it's a psychologist that kind of like it would be like maybe group therapy but for the class and just (gasps) I just feel like the the like I've been in my fair share of therapy, but it's really only because of sport that I've allowed to discover that. And, you know, there's still so much um, that needs to be uncovered and uh, with mental health and and that awareness and encouraging people who maybe even feel that their well-being is already incredible to go to therapy because you just learn so much about yourself and the way that you interact with with the with the world and i just think learning that at such a young age could help a lot of people um navigate and go through their life it might not be easier but it, they'd be more equipped to do it mm-hmm. definitely especially if you hit university and then you have to figure everything out at least you have some tools to work with figuring it out yeah totally yeah okay what did your parents teach you that set you up to live well? Ooh, so many things. Um, my dad was a stay-at-home dad. Uh, we grew up on a small farm in Ontario, just off the shore of Kingston, Ontario, on an island. And on this island, we had a farm, a small little hobby farm, 50 acres. Uh, but within this hobby farm, my parents decided to move. We used to, we were living in BC and at the age of me being four, we moved across the country and moved to Wolf Island, which is actually where my mom grew up. And so it's this really small island, 1500 people live there, small farming community. And uh, my mom grew up on a dairy farm herself. And so they wanted to go back to the farm and kind of teach us kids uh, about working hard and values and, (laughs) and upbringing. And, um, my they made the conscious choice of my dad to be a stay-at-home dad while also managing a family business um which was a corn maze uh so are we it was a family-run corn maze and we actually it was it was an awesome childhood and um i mean i look back and i'm like it was amazing but also at the same time like i remember uh everything was centered around working hard and uh i remember this one instance which was like you know, I was like probably eight or nine years old. And one of my friends called me to ask me to go to the beach because it was summertime. And I asked my dad and he was like, okay, you've, you've got two options. You can either go to the field and pick rocks for three hours and then go to the beach, or you can invite your friends here and pick hours for an hour and a half and then go to the beach. And I remember calling my friend back and she was like, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll see you on, at school on Monday. And, I'll, and to me, I was like, oh, this sucks like I hate my life but I look back and I understand more of the reasons of why my parents did the things that they did and it was a it's a huge reason of why I am the way that I am and um between working hard uh and being a good person I think uh, were two of the biggest values that my my parents really instilled on us. And a good person, I mean, that can be defined by really anybody. But the way that I would define it is trying to always do the right thing. And um, the right thing, it might not, you might think that it's right. It's like what you think is right in the moment. 
And so out of your best judgment, like, what do you think is right? And what is the best thing for all parties involved? And so mm-hmm. I, I try to uh, live my life that way now um, by doing the right things. And um, yeah, I would probably say that those are probably the two big things that my parents really valued and, and instilled on us. And, you know, they, they put in a lot of sacrifice. As I said, like my dad was stay at home with us and at a very young age, like I remember I was doing like laundry and cooking and all these things at like the age of four or five. And it was just, you know, and it's, it's, it was, I'm so grateful because I don't take any of those things really for granted now. Um, and I see a lot of value in, in doing that. Nice. <laughs> what are your thoughts on work, money, and business, seeing as you got a lot of the work part? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think money will always come and go. Uh, I say this maybe with with privilege still. Um, I mean, we don't make that much money as athletes. We make close to really nothing actually but I I've always and I grew up not really my parents weren't um the the wealthiest people but they always made the point of stating like don't let opportunity don't let money dictate your opportunity and I totally live that way so if I really want to do something like I don't want to let money get in the way of me doing that and it might it might mean that it's going to take me longer to do it but I'll do it um business I did my undergrad in business (laughs) I'm not really sure what it taught me but I did it and I don't really know if I liked it but um I do think the world runs on businesses and and it's important to learn how to how to navigate that. And uh, I think knowing more about business and uh, and how business works, then you're able to kind of navigate what you want for yourself and what you want for others more easily. Um, and work. I'm a strong believer in work. I mean, I'm in a work person sport where the harder you work, usually the the better outcome you get. So I think that's why I was so drawn to rowing in the first place. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think like our world is just kind of lacking. Um, I found that all growing up, actually, which was like, you know, I don't even think I was working that hard, but it just seemed like I was working harder than other people. And and I just wondered why uh, that was the case. And, and a lot of my like summer jobs it were about, um, you know, b- more so blue collar jobs. So like uh, groundskeeper for golf courses and maintenance work and that sort of thing. And I was always just really drawn to that because I just wanted to have a better understanding of those people and, and why people chose that sort of that sort of work, but it, it is extremely meaningful. And, you know, going out and truly working with your hands and, and, you know, say get, getting dirty is, uh, there's some sort of fulfillment in that. And, mm-hmm. and I know that there's other types of work, of course, like, you know, mental work and intelligent work, and you could be a lawyer or a doctor or whatnot. And there's just a totally different types of work or a teacher or anything, but the true manual labor is something that, uh, I hope that I always kind of keep in touch with because I think it humbles me and, and makes me a better person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I grew up working physically and I have done it pretty much every single summer of my life working construction yeah, so or awesome. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you love it? What do you think? Oh, I really, really like being outside and I love to work with my hands. And if my body is happy, if my body's working the way that I want it to, it's probably the best experience that I can ever have to work with it. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. It's just such a shame that often those jobs are paid such little money. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And such cool people work in those jobs too, that I always really appreciated. (laughs) Yeah. I've met some fun people. Mm -hmm. It's always, it's always interesting. Yeah. Okay, so if you told a few stories about yourself, would you be willing to tell one more that characterizes who you are? Mm, yes. 
Okay. Um, I'd like to believe that I am a uh, a leader, um, and a leader amongst whichever group I'm in. Something that I I also really value is trying to get the best out of the people that I'm around and with, and whether that may be humor <laughs> or um, or uh, you know better work or more efficient work or whatnot um, in in whatever situation I'm in, I, I do try to bring in as much fun as possible, which ends up being leading to more efficient and better work. So, um, okay, for example, uh, and I and it's interesting because um, also I really hate talking about myself, but I'll, I'll okay, I'll, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> I've had a few instances in all my different uh, areas of, like through the, the my stepping stones really to get to where I am today. And so, for example, in high school, um, I was never the best player or the most gifted athlete at all. But what I did was bring the team together and and that's how we were able to perform or get a better performance. And so I actually got an award um, back in high school for that very reason. Then fast forward to university, and same thing, I never got like athlete of the year or anything, or I was never the best athlete on the team. But then in my final year, I got um, this award that was called uh, Jamma Mahalalela Award. And it's named after who actually I'm going to have on my podcast, but it's named after this this um, person. He he was a graduate of UBC and uh, played basketball for the, for the UBC Thunderbirds. And um, he also shared his experience of like not being the best person on the team. And, but with that, he was always a leader and trying to get the best out of his, his teammates. And he went on to be, well, he's very successful. Um, he went on to be the assistant coach to the Toronto Raptors and then is now the assistant coach to the Golden State Warriors. And <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and so this award was actually named after him um, when he graduated from UBC because of his honorable and uh, devotion to his team. And I and that award's only given to people who deserve it in that year. So it's, I think it's only been given out three times and I was the, the second person to get it. So, wow. um, yeah, it was very, very humbling and um also just a sign of the way that I live my life. Um, kind of just uh, some positive feedback that, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. And it might not be, I might not get, um, or even at UBC, like I, I, like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, so selfish in my pursuit of being the absolute best on the team. I really tried to look at the bigger picture of how I can, embody um excellence across the entire team and i try to do that now too it's a little bit more difficult because um you know i i still have to perform myself in order to get myself into that boat but um and that's where balance and management of you know managing what's best for the team and what's best for myself becomes a little bit tricky to navigate but it's something that i'm constantly working on I really like that reframe of leadership because often we think about the leader as the person who's in the front, who's pulling everybody behind them, at least that for me, but it can actually be the person who's just lifting everybody else up with them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, And there are, I mean, there's so many leaders on our team now that there are leaders out there that are outperforming others that are doing the right things every day. And maybe they don't have to say things, but they're showing it through performance, but then there's other leaders that are, you know, encouraging others and, and bringing out the best in, in, in the team by, you know, conversation and, and asking the difficult questions. And uh, that's kind of where I steer more towards um, because of my curiosity around, around, you know, humans and the way that we think and the way that we act is that I just tend to lead, uh, lead through, through questions and curiosity rather than um, maybe being the best on the team. So have you done anything to cultivate your curiosity or is it just entirely innate? 
Yes, absolutely. I actually don't think. Okay, here's another story for you. I remember in grade nine, one of my friends, one of my teachers made a compliment to one of my friends. Um, and it was very, it was really nice. And I, I remember the teacher being like, so-and-so, um, her name is Allie. Uh, she's she, she's one of the most curious people I've ever met. And, and just like really valued that, like her ability to be curious and like always wanting to learn. And for some reason that really stuck with me of being like, wow, like, I think I knew, I mean, obviously I did know that you can, you're not just born with what you're born with, but like you can actually learn and grow and develop. But for some reason it was that hearing that somebody valued that, that I was like, whoa, somebody values that like quite a bit. I wonder, like, maybe I should try to adopt some of that, those, those behaviors. And that's when I started um, kind of being more curious, being more open um and then I think it's just kept going like you know it kind of feeds it it feeds itself and then now it's just like oh my gosh what am I not curious about like and uh and I also love the the saying you can't learn if you think you already know and so Mm -hmm. I try to approach things with with that in mind of maybe I think I know the answer to that but I'm going to ask the question because if they give me a different answer it's going to make me think um and I also have to be cautious because I'm also in a setting of, you know, people of a high performance environment where people might think of certain questions as like, why don't you already know that? Um, mm-hmm. And and it's, it's about balancing again, that curiosity with sharing also your, your thoughts and, and, and what you believe in. But I, I, yeah, I just think like, there's so much to learn out there and like, uh, as much as I want to learn about myself, I feel like I truly learn from my, but about myself through others. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for the story. That was cool. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like you were uh, getting a little bit more relaxed about talking about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Practice makes perfect. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Um. What's the smallest, easiest thing that you've done that has made your life noticeably better? This could be something you consistently do. It could be something you only did once, but it has to be small and it has to be easy. Getting my nine and a half hours of sleep every night. (laughs) That's come (laughs) up quite a bit. It'll change your life. (laughs) Go to bed at the same time. Wake up at the same time. I mean, I can't say that I do that all the time because... On Saturday nights, I like to, you know, maybe stay up an hour or two later and maybe wake up four or five hours later on my Sunday on my day off because I'm so tired. But the rest of the time, I'm just a sleeper, but I do put work into my sleep. You know, I I make effort to to take things out of my life so that I can come home, make dinner, have have food, have some downtime, talk to my partner go to sleep at 8 30 and having that foundational work of knowing that I always have that bedtime and I always go and go to sleep um yeah it's 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 a life changer and I highly recommend anyone in university to get as much sleep as they possibly can because you will perform a hundred times better than what you think is possible (laughs) (laughs) and I learned the hard way (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I believe in sleep too. Do you? Yeah, I try for nine hours and I might need more. Not sure if it's working. And do you find you get that? Um, It depends on the night. Originally, my because my bedtime was fluctuating a little bit, Mm -hmm. that made it a lot harder because I didn't know the correct physiological levers to pull so that I could managed to actually fall asleep right when I wanted to but I have I've since learned some of the most powerful levers like you you probably know like sunlight in the morning and then cold and exercise and food 
if you get those right away and then if you avoid artificial light and all that kind of stuff in the evening totally and i know and it just so happens with rowing that we're a morning sport so it's like oh i've been doing this the entire time without even knowing but i'm also just exhausted from exercising so much so it's it's you know so it just happens but yeah sleep (laughs) sleep for sure okay i probably ultimately this is probably going to turn into a book and that means that I will likely have a little section saying, if you want to make your life better and you want to do it the easy way, sleep more. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Backed up by an Olympic rower. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it might be a little bit more convincing then. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you listen to Huberman's podcast? Yes. I feel like yes. it's the top podcast in the world these days. But I yeah. would just like to say that I started listening to Huberman back in like 2015 when he was on another podcast. And I was like, this guy is intelligent. And then he came out with his podcast and I was like, this is incredible. But um, okay. I mean, yeah, he's all about sleep and and mm-hmm. uh, and getting the best out of performance and sunlight and all those all those great mm-hmm. things that make us better humans. Yeah, that's where I learned about it. Nice. So, uh... That's I've awesome. given him like seven shout outs on the podcast and I recommend anybody who ever <laughs> listens to mine, nice. listen to his first and then go yeah. to mine. Yeah, nice. <laughs> It'll make a bigger positive impact on your life to listen to him than to listen to me likely. But yeah, I cool. think this is fun. <laughs> Anyways, um, you mentioned rowing again. How has rowing helped you develop as a person? A lot. I mean, it's sometimes I think what who am I without rowing um because it's been such a strong um strong place in my life like uh you know one of the first things when when people sort of introduce themselves like what do you say like hi I'm Christina oh I'm a rower you know you talk about your profession or what you do and I say rower and that can mean like a hundred different things to, to different people. Um, but it's, yeah, it's taught me, like I say, leadership and, and, um, connection and the importance of, of teamwork and conversation and communication. Um, all these incredible skills that are taught at such a fun way of, of learning them. Um, and and so incredibly foundational and um it's yeah it's so interesting like now anytime I meet a rower it's like instant connection and like I get you you know and it's just that's just the way it is because the sport is just it just breeds you know work ethic and commitment and resilience and and communication that's just you have to be really good at those in order to be a really good rower and uh and you have to be working on those constantly in order to in order to get to the top that's what i've noticed anyways um uh yeah okay so what in the sport specifically inspires all those things because i know that it's it's an early morning sport mm-hmm. and it's incredibly difficult aerobically and anaerobically and you have to train a huge amount of hours yeah. <laughs> so much so why do that's we do it all that i know yeah yeah um i think we're all a little bit crazy <laughs> in the sense that we you know i think if you ask all these different high performance rowers they're all looking for for a couple different things i think something that uh, a lot of people would say is that they're looking to get the best of themselves whether that's physically, mentally, you know, psychologically, but it does, it pushes your limits. Like as much as you fail and learn from, it's like you go in and it's not just success. It's not like I've, I've enjoyed it so much because of all the success. It's also because of the crazy amount of failures that I've had, but have made me the person that I am. And I've learned the skills and the, the, the important characteristics that I hold true to myself are off are because of the sport and um yeah I think I think you got to be a little bit crazy in the sense that you know you got to like pain a bit there's something about going through pain and being like yeah I'm gonna get to the other side um because there is once once you push past certain levels of pain 
you get to the point where you really start to understand maybe yourself or go to the limits of of what pushes you or what makes you you um and i think that's very attractive to to rowers or, or to people like myself um and then also just like you know the 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 act of of uh of rowing itself too it, it is quite a beautiful sport and when you watch it it's like you have to be working so hard and but also be so calm and so delicate and and completely relaxed and i think the dichotomy of that is just truly incredible and you don't really see that very often okay so like when you're saying completely relaxed and working so hard that is because you're pulling hard but the way that you pull the oar has to be precise or yeah, why is that yeah tough to explain i mean if I, yeah it's um so you have a boat that's moving backwards and you have mm-hmm. a leverage a lever and it's the oar with your your mm-hmm. your hands that are on the oar that are holding and you're leveraging your body to move that weight that boat is running underneath you and you're moving up the slide. And so if you make the minimal disturbances on the boat, it will move faster. And so if you put your blade in at the precise time, it's like a when you're tapping along on, on a skateboard. Oh. You know, when you're tapping along on a skateboard and you kick off, you know when you're, you get a good kick off and you keep going. But you also know when you're not kicking off at the speed of the skateboard on the pavement because it kind of halts, right? It does that sort of jerky mm-hmm. feeling. But if you just keep ticking along, tick, 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 then it's quite nice and peaceful. That's the same thing with rowing. Whereas if you're just ticking along, it becomes such a beautiful motion, but it has it's so precise. We're talking like milliseconds of that precision. And we work on this constantly every day in order to get that, in order to synchronize the entire boat to do the exact same motion as well. So it's like you could do this motion with one person. And that's also an extremely challenging thing to do. But then you start adding in, let's say, eight people all doing (laughs) at the exact same time. And the boat's running underneath you. And you all need to be timed up with the way that the boat is running underneath you and you're moving up the slide. And then you're timing your blade into the water. But once you're, the second the blade's in the water, you need to get as much freaking force on that on that foot plate in order to drive your body back to propel the boat back. So it's like the second you're locked in, your body is producing the most power it possibly can. But the second your blade's out of the water, you need to go like the most relaxed you possibly can. Hmm. It's like when you say relax, that's so that your body can move back forward and push the oar in the other yeah, direction like, get ready for the next stroke like yeah because if i'm really tense on the recovery i'm just causing disturbances to the hull and the hull isn't moving fast enough underneath me whereas mm-hmm. if i once the the blade is extracted out of the water and i can just you know set up my body swing over and let the boat run underneath me i not only save energy myself but i'm also letting the boat work for me okay that cool, is right rowing one yeah go. <laughs> yeah it'll help me in the gym when i'm on the erg <laughs> nice yeah so think about you know yeah exactly think about that ratio the rhythm rowing is all about rhythm hmm. that's cool that's really cool especially because mm-hmm. i'm a drummer so the rhythm is there you go it's in my bones yeah so much exactly. fun okay you're talking about how you're pushing yourself how can you do that without treating yourself like an absolute jerk how do you positively encourage yourself to perform your best in such intense environments yeah yeah it's a great question um constant work you know we work with psychologists and and um and i think having that that positive relationship it goes back to that positive relationship with yourself like the way that you treat yourself at the end of the day at the end of the day, and this is what I like to think, is at the end of the day, this is just a sport. I get to do this. It's a privilege. It's great. I'm having fun. But what happens if it's not there? You know, I still have my relationships. I still have my partner. I still have my family. And to me, that's what's the most important thing. Things in my life are, are my relationships and my family and, and, and my partner. And so coming at it at, with a lens of gratitude and enjoyment rather than um, that sort of pressure allows you to be much more 
less stress-free. Well, not, I mean, there's still stress, but less stress um, and more enjoyment and um, more pleasure. And, and, uh, but it's, it's constant work. Like I have, and even now, you know, like I have periods where if I'm not getting something technically on the water or if I'm not performing at my best, then it's so easy to go into like the, here we go. We go back into the focus of like, why are, what am I doing? What can I do? What, what can I do to fix this? Like what, what's happening? And you know, the, like we're complicated humans and trying to figure out exactly what you need to do in order to get the, the best performance. Like people are still, we're all trying to figure that out. It's a constant journey. And I think the second you start putting pressure on that, you have to, you take away the enjoyment of what you're doing and um, I mean, this is a personal view, but yeah, I just, yeah, I think I've gotten a lot more out of myself where I've approached things at a place of I get to, or um, uh, uh, like I'm enjoying this, um, or like this is a privilege rather than thinking like I have to do this, like I have to win. And everyone's different. Like I know people who who thrive on the I have to, and they perform like that. Whereas for me, I need to be in a place of, you know, a safe environment and knowing that, that whatever I end up, if I end up failing, whatever, you know, I'm going to learn from it. And I just love the idea of the way of approaching your life with curiosity constantly and coming at it learning rather than thinking that you have to do something because no matter what, you're going to have challenges and you're going to have failures and it's really about how quickly you can get up and fix and you know bounce back be resilient from those failures um that keeps you going because those are inevitable i feel like i'm preaching right now i'm sorry (laughs) honestly i love it when people do that because that means that you're in the zone and you're talking about things that you're passionate about and that's what i'm here for i'm here to facilitate conversation where people are in the zone and get in the zone myself sometimes so yeah yeah (laughs) let's move on to uh another one do you have any practices that you use to help deal with the intense mental strain Mm -hmm. that comes with rowing yeah for sure um I like mindful minutes I I do my my breath work every day um depends on on the time of year but when things start getting uh stressful then I'll increase my minutes of breath work and that's for me, it's like box breathing kind of. So like inhale for four, hold for two, exhale for six or seven, and then hold for one or two. And I'll just do that for like 10 or 20 minutes. Or even when I'm driving, I'll do that. Um, Other practices is, you know, really people kind of laugh. They're like, you know, high performance athlete, they're so intense, but we're so intense for that fraction of time. But then in our off time, the best ones are the ones that can kind of be lazy and relax and calm themselves because if you want to get the best out of me you know on the water for two hours in the morning and then in the afternoon that time in between I need to be I need to chill out and so Mm -hmm. I need to know what sort of things are going to fill my cup back up and which things are going to take away um take 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 away from my cup and so um for me it's yeah like chill time I mean I I nap and and chill <laughs> like it's I, I'll get massages and physio and uh you know mobility work and I do have my podcast and and readings and and whatnot but it's really uh, and it changes on the daily basis of like what I need to do in order to to make myself the best for my next session and that's kind of the way that I'm always thinking okay so dealing with the mental strain, it just means that you have to get really, really good at releasing yourself from that mental strain and that place of striving and just be like, OK, I'm done. Totally. <laughs> I don't need totally to be going. Like, uh, I don't need to be on. Because yeah. the more okay. that I'm on, the more time I need to be off. And so if I'm going to be on for four or five hours a day, that's a lot of time to be like solidly on. Like I'm hyper focused mm-hmm. in those moments. And, and it's not even just mentally it's also physically like we're, we're doing a lot of physical work on our bodies. And so um, with that comes a great deal of recovery. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. That's really interesting. It's like the extent to which you can turn off is the extent to which you can turn on. And that is, I think we all need to practice that because our, like the grinding mentality, the push yourself culture, it doesn't teach you to relax. Mm -hmm. It doesn't teach you to Mm -hmm. do the rest that you need to do in order to be able to go back into your next session fully refreshed and able to perform at your best, right? Yeah, and that's actually something, and I think I'll, I'll, oh, sometimes I think I'm like, man, has high performance life, like, set me up for failure in the sense of, like, I'm really good at performing for this period of time, but now I've gotten so used to, like, chill time that I'm like, what happens when I'm, you know, when you're married and have kids and a full-time job and doing all this stuff, like, where's my chill time? (laughs) But I think, uh, I think just knowing that that's, that's important and finding times during your day to to get that I think will go a long ways yeah I'm sure you'll sort out whatever comes at you you seem like you're pretty good with the curiosity (laughs) thing and figuring things out we'll be fine it'll it'll be a challenge (laughs) but we'll work through it awesome okay would you be able to briefly describe the podcast so that listeners just have a general idea of what it is what you've been referencing Yeah. Okay. So I have a podcast called Difference Makers. And uh, I started this just before the Olympics because it was quite a unique situation for me and a few others on the team as well, where uh, it was my first time on the national team. And usually uh, you have like World Cups or World Championships before you go to the Olympics. Never really before would someone just go from straight to the Olympics. But because of COVID, all these competitions were canceled and so I went from just being you know a national team rower to my debut of national team was the Olympic Games and so yeah it's 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 pretty intense and so with that I again with curiosity I wanted to interview people who it started off with like Olympians um, but people who had success at the Olympics um, or or not and uh, and could share their experience and and so a place where I could learn um, about how they navigated uh, the experiences that they went through and and you know try to try to figure it out that way and so that's how it started and then it just kind of kept going and um, I would just talk to people and and you know bring up the podcast and other people would suggest people that I should interview and then it just kind of happened and so yeah I've had a lot of great conversations with a lot of different people from different walks of life and and I've learned a lot of things from them as well so they were a big uh, a big sort of like it was like a group of like mentors for me um, going into the Olympics were those those people that I interviewed on the podcast okay so cool and for anybody who's listening right now they can find that at difference makers on Spotify correct yes very cool. I recommend you check it out. I listened to one. It was very fun. Nice. Which one did you listen to? Um, I know that it was Kim's brother, but I don't remember his oh, first name. Oh, yeah, nice. Dave Calder. Yeah. Okay. There yeah, we go. He's, he's so. awesome. It's a Dave great one. Calder. Yeah. So listen to that episode. Mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Recommended by Simon and Christina. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, am, I want to be respectful of your time, so I will fire off are you all right if i fire off three questions really quickly sure yeah let's do it okay so have you found that there are any approaches to life that are consistent between the high performers that you've interacted with yes um examples would be uh um boundaries people have holding boundaries for themselves and in their lives um and the way that they're able to be high performers or achieve great things because they have these boundaries in place in their life in order to do them, um, surrounding themselves with people that are like-minded and striving for, for also great things, um, Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily have to be the case, but I often see that, uh, it, it makes it easier to, to, you know, go for success if a whole bunch of other people around you are also going for success. Um, and then just the little things, you know, like still making time for themselves, making time for their family. Um, it's the, it's cause it's, it's really comes down to consistency and, um, and, and that you see that in high performance too, like the more consistent you can be, 
in training, the the better you are going to be as an athlete in competition. And that's the same thing in life. You know, the more consistent I could be with with the way that I am, whether it's, you know, making my bed every morning and doing my laundry and, you know, just the, the little things, they all add up. And it just I think just really focusing on those small things because they really do make a big difference in the big picture. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. That was very cool. And I'll be nice. reflecting on how to incorporate that into my own life. Nice. How to make sure that I can live a high performance lifestyle, even if I just <laughs> want to be a student. <laughs> I mean, man, being a student is tough. Like I left the student world and came onto the national team and I was like, national team is pretty easy compared to being a student. Like the, the politics are pretty rough on the national team, but you know, managing everything that students do it's it's no joke it's it's no joke you're (laughs) sleep deprived trying to learn you're sleep deprived trying to to get a degree make friends trying to navigate what you're going to do for the rest of your life while also maintaining good mental health like talk about impossible and then hopefully work out in the middle of there somewhere yeah yeah exactly and go to bed and get your nine and a half hours of sleep (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh yeah Uh, what do you believe is worth betting on we're betting on people okay people for sure yeah that's i'd say that's the 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 best thing and maybe bitcoin but you know (laughs) okay so when you say would say bitcoin i say people (laughs) (laughs) okay For everybody listening, this is not a financial advice podcast. Don't go broke on Bitcoin. So actually, yeah, don't listen to us either way. Do whatever you want. But when you say betting on people, is there a specific type or is it just when something clicks or when do you believe that is worth to bet? When do you believe it is worth to go all in? I like to think people have great gut instincts. And, uh, you know, I think people, people notice people. So if somebody is is you know doing a lot of the things whether it's like working hard or working smart people notice that and i think that's when you want to bet on those people i don't really know what exactly i what like an example of being a betting on would be but like you know aligning yourself with those people or finding opportunities to go into business with those people like mm-hmm. bet on the people who are doing good things and are making a conscious effort in the way that they're acting okay very cool well when i say bet on i mean it could just be ex ex, uh expend your energy in drawing close to them or that kind of thing that's what i mean when i say bet so now i believe it is time for the last question Mm. imagine that i forget this entire conversation what is the most important thing that you have to share with me, Simon Funk, and the listeners today? Uh, great question. And I totally did not come up with anything for this one at all. Because um, I like to live in the moment. Most of my answers do. We're really living in the moment. Um, Perfect. But uh, tough. I think um, first thing that comes to mind is relationships again. So, you know, hold on to the relationships that you have and and really cultivate relationships with with people around you and i think good things will come your way if you do okay very cool and that is all thank you for speaking with me awesome thanks for having me hello everyone it's simon i know you thought you were done with me but i've still got a few things to say the first is thank you i really appreciate that you're taking the time to listen to my conversations and i hope that they're adding value to your lives The second is that if you're enjoying the podcast and want to support me in what I'm doing, you can do that in a few ways. The first is by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The second is by subscribing to my email newsletter. This can be found by going to my website, learningfromhumanity.com, scrolling down to the section titled Interviews, and filling out the form titled Want to Hear About New Content? The third way you can help me out is by following me on Instagram at learningfromhumanity. 
the mailing list and Instagram are similar in that those are the places where you will hear about cool new content. News of anything new will be shared via those channels. The final and most important way you can help me out is by suggesting a guest. The guests that I'm looking for are the old and the bold. The old are those who are 65 plus and can look back at their life and say, I have something to teach others about living well based on what I've learned over my years. The other category, the bold, consists of people like me, like you, maybe a few years younger, maybe up to the age of 35, who are actively trying to live the best life they can and have something to show for it. I'm not picky about who I interview, as long as they fit into those categories. It could be you, it could be your grandma, it could be your best friend who does uh, roller skating professionally, or makes really, really cool YouTube videos. I don't know who I'm going to interview, and I'm excited to find out. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for putting up with me gabbering on for so long, and I hope you have a great day.